And a very good evening to you, a very warm welcome. It's yet another big kickoff cricket podcast. Uh, coming up, we've got John Batham and uh, Annie Chief. Uh, they will be uh, coming into the room shortly, but uh, delighted to have been joined by Mark Smith. Uh, good evening to you, Mark. Good evening, Peter. And uh, pleasure as always to have Paul Newman with us as well. Good evening, Paul. Hi, Peter. How are you? Very well, thank you. And I think John's just uh, arrived, as they say. Good evening, John. Good evening. Yes, I've just loitered in, as they do. <laughs> Super. And Great. A lot to cram in in the next 35 minutes. Uh, we're going to centre, for obvious reasons, on the, on the Ashes. It would be nice that we would have been talking a 4-0 England win, but let's face it, uh, I think that's a, a huge long way off. But uh, in the end, decisive victory from Australia. You have to, I suppose, if anything, tip your hat off to Australia, I think, personally. I mean, I think they dominated from the first ball to the last. Uh, England really were never really in this contest, it has to be said. I know there's going to be debates about uh, Red Bull cricket and uh, all sorts of situations, but um, Paul, what's your take on, well, I'm going to use the word nicely, shall we call it a debacle? I think I think there's, there's every, it's absolutely fair enough to call it that, Pete. It's, it was awful, wasn't it? And I think it was worse than the two five nils England have experienced in the in two of the last three tours they've been out there. Um, I was on the 13-14 one. I didn't think anything could get uh, could get any worse than that, but I think this was. And it was worse because they made so many mistakes, really. Um, I know I know they've, they, they had injury setbacks. I know they lost Joffre Archer some time ago, who, who could have made a big difference, but the problem was with the batting. And the problem was in so many self-inflicted mistakes. You know, the, the bottom line is they had a chance. It's not a great Australia side. They had a chance. Three of the five... Tests were played on green English type pitches. Um, it, it, Australia lost one of their best bowlers in Josh Hazelwood. Um, they lost Cummins for the second test. The opportunity was there. It was a, a very good Australian bowling attack, but not the greatest batting lineup. Um, and and England just blew it, and they blew it by by remarkably bad cricket. Really, I think we've you can honestly say it's it's one of the worst batting performances of all time by an England lineup. You know. And I never thought we'd say that in the central contract era, actually, because I thought those bad days of when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, and not growing up, but, but considerably younger, but um, uh, I thought those days were over, really. Uh, and uh, this this was appalling, and it, and it really was um, thoroughly depressing. I personally, I mean, I go along with those words 100%, Paul. I mean, all right, yeah, you, you can use the argument of, well, they were all underprepared, but look, Australia went into this test series, didn't they, Paul? They'd hardly played any test cricket, to be perfectly honest with you. So I don't think you can use this excuse of, you know, being underprepared. I'm a firm believer that um, before the start of this first test, think back to the toss in particular, or even before the toss, when the teams were announced. Now, surely, I couldn't believe it at the time, Paul. You know, I was watching it and I was sitting there shaking my head literally before it came off. Yeah. Why on earth was there no Jimmy Anderson, no Stuart Broad? Now, to me, if you go into any series, whether it's an Ashes series or whoever you're playing, surely you've got to put a marker down, haven't you, uh, on the opening test? You can't just sit there and give, say to the opposition, well, we're not going to play uh, our two most experienced bowlers, whether or not it was a you know, this stupid idea of resting players and bringing extra bring, etc. or what, I don't know. But at the end of the day, that's neither here nor there. 
I mean, to me, that gives out a message, and it's a bad message, isn't it? I mean, surely when Australia <laughs> looked at that team or heard about that team sheet, I mean, goodness gracious me, they must have thought Christmas must have come early. Absolutely. It was. It doesn't need hindsight to, to say that that was a, a bad mistake. Um, they were worried about Jimmy Anderson's fitness. He was feeling a bit of a hamstring. Um, and remember on the, the first test of the, 90, uh, the 2019 home series, he broke down and we never saw him for the rest of the series. And I think they were worried about a bit of a repeat on that. The, the, the absence of Broad is, is just inexplicable, really. I know he was coming back from a calf injury of, of his own that kept him out of part of the series against India last summer. But he, he had such the, the, the wood over David Warner on, in the last series. You know, it's, it's Brisbane, it's a green pitch, it's your most senior bowler. Um, it, it just beggars belief, really. And I just think they were too clever. They just had ideas set in stone. They decided, OK, we're going to play this one at this one. It's a marathon, not, not a sprint. But, you know, that Australia were out of sight by the time, you know, by the time Mark Wood started playing regularly uh, or, or Stuart Ball started playing regularly. And, um, it, it, you know, Mark Wood did play in Brisbane, but the pitch didn't really suit him. He, then he was left out in Adelaide when it was a flat pitch and they really could have done with the extra pace. They just made mistakes all along and it, and it was it was like they were, the, the planning was too rigid, really. They just decided what they were going to do uh, and they misread conditions and they, they misread uh, uh, personnel and really they were just, it, it was just it, 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 cataclysmic, really. You know? but, but there is no excuse and it doesn't take hindsight to, to say why on earth didn't one of those play I can understand the Anderson uh, absence, but the, the absence of Broad was just ridiculous, really, and, and it cost them dearly. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, obviously it did, isn't it? Because let's face it, Paul. Whether it's an Ashley series or any series, you can't afford to go one nil down, can you? In, in the manner that they did, in particular. Absolutely, and and then they're playing catch up, um, and then you go two nil down in Adelaide, and it's all over, really, because nobody in the history, certainly in English. An English side has come back from 2-0 down to win an Ashes series in Australia. And it was all over. Then then Broad is maybe fresh. Then Mark Wood is fresh. But it's too late. But we can we can argue about the bowling lineups and, and the mistakes they made there. But it was just the failure to make runs, wasn't it? They didn't make 300 once. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? And as Stuart Broad said, I mean, Stuart Broad gave a magnificent press conference um, towards the end of the series. I think it was in Sydney when he just said, it doesn't matter which bowlers you play, however you, you rest and rotate them or whatever you do, if you're going to score 140, you are not in the game. And that's what England did in that first test. And they were playing catch-up from there on. And none of the batters were good enough. Even Joe Root, after a solid start, wasn't his usual self. He just got wore down by it all. And really, our red ball batting is just such a concern, not only for England, but for the, the game. Because I can't see too many people queuing up to take these these players' places. Obviously, there will, there will be changes for the West Indies Test Series in March. But, but you know, there's no guarantee that anybody coming in is any better. Um, and so really, we just need to, we, we need the Red Bull reset that people have asked for. We need to have a look at all sorts of things. Um, otherwise, this is it's going to be the same story in four years time. And we do get judged by the ashes. However much people say it shouldn't be all about the ashes. It is the biggest thing in cricket. I think a lot of people who are not huge cricket lovers like us would, would pay attention to the ashes, which they might not do other series. And we do need to get it right for, for the ashes. Otherwise, it's not going to be the a five test series in Australia. And, and that's what makes it so special really so unless we do start planning oh. now it's going to be the same story in four years time and, I, and I've, I'm getting too old for this I, 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 you know the same story four years ago the same story four years before that 
And, you know, and I was there in 10-11 and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen, seeing England win three tests by an innings to win in Australia. But sadly, uh, you know, they've not won a single test there since then. And, and, and it doesn't look as if they're going to win another one anytime soon. Is the problem, Paul, <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, true. In, in your opinion, is the problem that we don't play enough Red Bull cricket in this country? Or is it a case of, due to scheduling purposes, I know we're going to talk more about the current fixtures, which have increased now the championship games at the start of the season as well. So it's, I dare say that helps a little bit. True. Is it the fact that batsmen are just not climatised for Test cricket now because of the fact they just do not play enough red ball cricket. That's, that's part of it, I'm sure, because we had this um, white ball reset, didn't we, in 2015. I can perfectly understand that our white ball cricket was so far behind any other country. Andrew Strauss was the, the architect of that. He brought in Trevor Bayliss as a, as a coach he thought could get the best out of the white ball teams. And it's been spectacularly successful. And that World Cup win in 2019 was incredible. And it, all of us who saw it will never forget it. Um, you know, they're playing magnificent white ball cricket. They continue to do so. Jason Roy hit 100 off about 30-odd balls last night in a warm-up game in Barbados. You know, and they just continually do this under Owen Morgan. And it's fantastic, but it's gone too far the other way. And I think what this series has shown us is that a lot of people in this country really love their test cricket. And they cannot undermine the test cricket in the way that they have done for the last few years. People say you can't blame it on the 100. I, I, you know, I'm vehemently against the 100 personally. People say you can't blame it on the 100, it's the first year. Well, I'm sorry, it's been five years in the making and they have taken their eye off the white, off the red ball for the whole of that time. And they have made sure that that, that prime summer slot goes to this new competition, which wasn't necessary and, and just basically is cluttering up the fixture list and making everything harder from now on. And, you know, the, the money for, from English cricket comes from Test cricket. The majority of the fans like Test cricket. And we have to now reset, as Joe Root has called for and others have called for. And it probably will be done. I think it was too, those calls were too late for this, this, this season's fixtures, which have been announced today. Although it would be nice if they could have done a bit more than just put another couple of games in June or, or July, which I know we're going to come to. But um, we've got to just have a whole look at the whole thing. And there's got to be leadership. So the ECB are rudderless at the moment. So someone has got to get hold of this. And I think that person is Andrew Strauss. I think he's our big hope. The person who... who set the, the, the white ball reset button has now got to do the same for red ball and he's our best hope of actually saying we've got to improve this because we cannot allow our test cricket to die we'll, we'll come back and talk more about Andrew Strauss shortly uh, thanks Paul I'm going to bring you in later um, John you've obviously been listening to those points uh, excellent points as always from Paul <sighs> what is your take on what you've been witnessing the last uh, five or six weeks well, I mean, as, as, Paul, as Paul said, it's been a shambles, isn't it, from from beginning to end, really. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've talked about, you know, Broad and Anderson being left out the side for the first test match. I mean, yes, I too understand why Anderson wasn't risked. Um, but if you've got a guy with 600-odd test wickets sitting on the bench, you don't want to put a guy with 500-odd test wickets sitting on the bench as well. That's just nuts. Um because the other thing is, we, we didn't go into the series with, in possession of the Ashes. So, we, so we've already got to win the series. So, and you know that Brisbane's going to produce a result unless it rains forever in a day. So you know you've got to win the Test match. So you've got, you've got to take 20 wickets. And you know that, you're t you know that your batting lineup's not great. 
because they didn't learn they didn't learn that during this test series they knew it wasn't great so don't handicap yourself even more by not picking your best team you see for me the interesting thing is australia looked at the first test match and thought do you know what josh hazelwood's fitness is dodgy but we want to play our best bowling attack that we can in this first test match because if we knock england over and we win we're one up in a five test series that england have got to win to get the ashes back so they gambled on it he almost became a sacrificial lamb because he broke down after that test match, couldn't play anymore. But they won the test match. That, that's the thing. Um, for, for me, yeah, we, we can say that we can say that the English batting is technically not great or, or whatever it might be. For me, the main problem with the English batting is that it's mentally rubbish. Because every single time Australia got a couple of quick wickets, everything folded. Every single time it folded. Now, that's not about technique. That's about that's about mental strength. That's about to use a word we probably shouldn't use in a podcast. It's about bollocks, frankly. And we didn't have any. That, that's the problem. We didn't have any. Um, so therefore, every time we folded, you know, the first couple of test matches, Milan and Root threatened to dig us out a couple of times. As soon as they disappeared, the rest was gone. Um, the other problem that we had, uh, palpably, was that we couldn't catch. We couldn't catch a cold. How many chances did we drop in those first, particularly in those first two test matches where every single catch is crucial? Every other chance or more than every other chance went to the ground. Now, all right, part of the reason for that was we had Butler keeping wicket, who's never been a wicket keeper, never will be a wicket keeper and should never be a wicket keeper for England in rebel cricket again, ever. Um, but other people dropped them as well. You know, when you're the underdogs and you're not making many runs, you cannot drop catches. And we did, which was frankly awful because it, it's, it's bad enough for a bowling attack, whoever you've picked, to be trying to defend 180, 170 or whatever it is. But if you've, but if you've got to take 16 wickets to get 10, You've got a major problem. Very much so. Uh, I'll bring you in a bit later. Thanks, John. Um, Mark, you've been listening eagerly <laughs> to both Paul and John's points. England's batting. Is there, any, is there a solution? I know Paul quite rightly says, and I totally go along with him. It's all right saying, well, drop so, drop so. Who on earth do you bring in? And I think Paul they've got a wonderful valid point there. Uh, We've tried shaking up the top all, haven't we? We've tried everything, really and truthfully. But time and time again, this batting lineup constantly fails under pressure, isn't it? I mean, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think at the start of the tour, there wasn't there wasn't really a lot of options we could pick from. I mean, I think if you ask most of the panel who you've had in your top six, seven, 
it's not it's not really a name that springs to mind possibly could have come in would be like Liam Livingstone in that middle order. It's the other player. Um, I mean, if you listen to Shane Warne, who's obviously a well-respected man, he's played, knows the game inside out. I think he was advocating him. And um, that's possibly the only player I would have, I mean, being a Warwickshire best, Warwickshire supporter, I would have possibly looked at Rob Yates, he had a decent uh, county season, but he hasn't, he's still quite young and hasn't, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to say whether he would have succeeded or not. So I think it was probably a fair enough call to go with the players. I think my concern with the batting, a um, couple of things, not just from the Ashes tour, but just generally um, going back to the India series and New Zealand, um, is just things like uh, the guards, guards the batsmen take, like they like, they like to take an off stunt guard, which I, I find a bit strange personally because, um, you know, I guess the reason for it is because they know when to play and leave, but they still they're still playing at balls outside of stump, which they could comfortably leave and not make themselves hard to get out. You know, if you look at better players, you know, Cooks and Strausses, they knew they knew when to leave the ball and make and make it harder for the Australian bowlers to get them out. You know, look, wait for one a bit straighter, you can tuck away for runs, you know, things like that. So the other thing I think was there was a big there was a big piece on, on social media with some of the coaching, like the batsman playing off one leg in practice in the nets, things like that, which I thought was a bit strange. But obviously, I'm not, I'm not quite enough. I just, 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 just my thoughts that just it's a bit strange as well. I think, I think John makes a good point about mental toughness. I think when you're touring Australia in an Ashes series, you've got to be mentally tough when you're facing guys like Stark, Hazelwood, Cummings. They, they are tremendous bowlers, um, but. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to make right decisions about when to play, when to leave. I don't, I didn't see that enough. Thing. I think that's that was part of the fit, that was part of the problem. But the main, the main problem with this whole series is, we, you know, as, as Paul alluded to earlier, you know, we, we didn't score above three hundred runs. So it doesn't matter what bowlers you can, you can argue to the cows come home. You know, we should have picked X, Y, and Z bowler. But if you're getting bowled out of one hundred and fifty, you, you don't have a chance. It's very hard to come back. And, and, and win a game. The bowlers have to bowl out their skins. Um, yes, we could argue a bit about selection, about um, you know the bowling, but it's the batting that's the problem. But the only to answer your question, I probably would have I would have gambled with, with Liam Livingstone personally as a batsman. I think I think you need that sort of batsman who's a bit of bravado. Someone's someone's going to take it to the Aussies and say, look, you don't intimidate me. I mean, you know, you look at say KP when he played in. The 05 Ashes series, you know, he was, he had, he had that sort of no fear about him. And we just, we seem to sort of get our eggshells a little bit. So it's just about, you know, we've got, we've got to sort of take it to the Aussies a bit, you know, and put some pressure on them. You know, so, so someone's imposed themselves. I didn't really see, I didn't see enough of that really in this series. It's, you know, it's bitterly disappointing. And to be honest, I hope there will be like a, you know, a joke aside, a pun aside, a root and branch review into the whole England setup, um, not just on the field, but off the field. I think there's the other questions you have to ask yourself. You know, is it correct, for example, that it's down to the head coach, Chris Silwood, to make all the decisions regarding personnel? You know, why why did Ashley Giles, you know, come with, come to that conclusion? So there's, there's other there's other things off the field that I think, you know, we need to look at because this, you know, we keep getting told this is a series that We've been preparing for, you know, for such a while, and then the series happens, and we just 
it was just pathetic, in all honesty. We're not prepared at all. Yeah. Um, this, this not, really. Yeah. Great. I'll come back to you shortly. Um, going to bring Paul in there. Paul, um, should there be changes? I mean, they've talked about should Joe Root step down? Should uh, people behind the scenes go? I mean, there's obviously going to be a, a, a report, etc., and a talk back on this and all sorts of situations. I mean, I know I've read your excellent pieces about what, how you feel, but those of you who haven't, uh, tell us more. Then. I mean, what, what do you feel should happen? Well, after Melbourne, actually, when the Ashes were lost, I said there's never been a stronger case to sack the lot of them, which might have been a bit knee-jerk, but I think that's very true. I think the ECB are, are, are rudderless at the moment, and um, there is a case to, to, to basically rip it up and start again, I'm afraid. You know, we can say that problems are systemic. We can say that we need there needs to be a Red Bull reset, but so many mistakes were made that I'm afraid big changes do have to be made. I'm sure Chris Silverwood is going to go, and I think it's very sad. Uh, I think he's a an excellent man. I, I really enjoyed uh, having uh, dealings with him when he's been England coach, when he was Essex coach. And I think it's a great shame, but I don't think you can possibly make the amount of mistakes that he and England made, especially after he was given that extra responsibility, as Mark said, for selection. And that that's on Ashley Giles. But but because of that, I'm afraid he has to be replaced. And I think it will be, they will look for a, the polar opposite of Chris Silverwood. So we're looking at a disciplinarian to take over, which I think is what's needed, to be honest. Someone more in the Andy Flower or Duncan Fletcher mould uh, is what's needed next. I personally think Joe should go. I think uh, I like Joe hugely and respect him hugely. He's a tremendous batsman and a tremendous man and a really great role model for English cricket. But he's had three goes at the Ashes as a captain now uh, and, and has not uh, won the Ashes. We had the drawn series in 19, but it wasn't enough to, to, to lift the urn. I'm afraid he's had five years in the job and he's not getting any better tactically. I don't think he's a great captain um, uh, tactically. Uh, he leads by example, which is brilliant when he's scoring runs. But when it's not, there was some very odd passages of play and his bowling changes and, his, and his, all sorts of things. And also, he has to be culpable for selection too, because I'm sure that Silver would not give the captain any, any team that he doesn't want. So people say, well, who else is there? But that's not a good enough reason not to change the captain. There will always be someone else. So I think the coach, captain, I think Ashley Giles has to go because he was the man who, who put Silverwood in, in position. He's, he's made a, a, as many mistakes as anybody. I think Tom Harrison has to go because he's undermined Red Bull cricket and then has the audacity to say we have to have a reset. So basically, sack the lot of them. And, uh, you know, I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that in a in a sort of red top sort of way. I'm afraid it has to happen and it has to happen quickly because um, the next test assignment is coming up rapidly uh, in the West Indies in March, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and England will, I'm sure, will have a new coach. I don't think they'll have a new captain, but I think they should. Um, and I think they will have a new director of cricket. The, the one name that leaps out of you in so many of these positions is Andrew Strauss. As we said earlier, he has got to, hopefully, if his, if his family situation allows, he has to play a leading role in all this, whether that's chief executive of the ECB, chairman of selectors, uh, which has to come back as well, by the way. I think that was wrong to access chairman of selectors as a position or director of cricket. He has to take control of this because, quite frankly, there's no one else. If he was offered this position... Um, uh, Paul, do you think he would take it? I, I think he's going to get involved again. I think obviously he stepped away from um, full-time administration in very tragic circumstances when he lost his wife um, and he quite understandably and rightly put his sons first. Um, I think he might be in a position to take on 
uh, a full-time job again. I, I, I don't know him well enough to know that for sure, but he has, he's taken the first steps towards that by becoming the chairman of the ECB Cricket Performance Committee. So he's the man that initially they will report to when this review on this series goes in initially. Uh, so I think I, I think he, he he is interested in a in a in the job. It's just which one really. Uh, Chief executive might be too much. Chairman of selectors is a possibility. Director of cricket is a possibility. But I do think we're we're going to see him back in some important role in the next few weeks, and and that would be a very welcome uh, development in my opinion. Here, here to that definitely. Let's just quickly look ahead. Then we've uh, we're off to the West Indies. Uh... Uh, well, I say we're off. I mean, players are out there, actually, basically. Uh, different format, Paul. Five T20s coming up. Um, huge amount of T20s, isn't it? Having said that, I feel. But they are. That's just my two penny worth. What's your take on it? Well, there's not much wrong with the England whiteboard side, is there? And that's great. You know, I'm not knocking that for sure. Um, they, they didn't win the, the, the World Cup uh, in the UAE before the Ashes, which was a shame. I thought they had a great chance. They were beaten in the semi-final by New Zealand, which can happen, can't it? They're still a very strong side under Owen Morgan. There's another World Cup in October. So I, I think it's fair enough, really. None of the Ashes players are involved. I don't mind five games now, We're all in Barbados, um, no travelling involved, uh, perfect time of year. And it should be a good test for them because West Indies are a, a good 2020 side, aren't they? Particularly at home, even though they didn't uh, uh, do so well in the last World Cup and they were starting to show their age. So they might have a new, few new faces. But no, it's going to be fascinating to see how they go. There's obviously a few... Faces missing of the, the Ashes players like Josh Butler, like Ben Stokes um, and uh, Johnny Bairstow. And so there'll, there'll be a few opportunities. We might get to see more of the likes of Phil Salt, uh, Tom Banton, um, the, you know, a few a few others. I do I do agree with uh, what Mark said earlier that Liam Livingston, I think he's a, he's a real special talent. Interesting to see how he goes in this series. But I personally would take him back to the West Indies in March for Test cricket. And, and um, I think he hasn't played so much first-class cricket simply because... There are so many um, opportunities for great white ball players now that he's put red ball cricket on the back burner. But I still think, uh, doing an interview with him a few months ago, I still think he wants to play test cricket. I think he should do. So it'd be fascinating to say, see how he goes there. So, yeah, we should have some good entertainment with these games. Um, uh, as I said earlier, Jason Roy smacked a century off 30 odd balls uh, last night in a warm-up game. It's amazing some of the, the cricket that England's white ball side are playing. And, and when we do get down on our cricket and we do get uh, into inquest mode, we shouldn't forget that we've got we've got a fabulous limited oversight in both 2020 and 50 over cricket, and and long may that continue. And of course, it gives the likes of you mentioned some players that you touched on there. Because George Garton, uh, the Sussex brother as well. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how he goes in particular as well. I know Sussex have really had so much time for this bowler, and I've seen quite a bit of him as well. And also, I've been very impressed with him as well, Paul. Yeah, well, four years ago, I remember him featuring in the England Nets. He was sort of called up to to joined the Ashes squad at, at Townsville, I think we were, before the first test. Um, and he was very quick then, very quick left arm, um, a little bit wild, uh, the occasional beamer, I think. But um, it, and I remember thinking, hey, it's going to be very interesting how this guy goes. Now, I think I'm writing, I don't watch as much counter cricket as, as you guys do, so forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think he's reduced his pace a little bit. He's more accurate now, but he's still an extremely good bowler, maybe a wiser bowler than he was four years ago when he first burst on the scene. He was unlucky not to play this summer because uh, I think he was ruled out because of COVID reasons, wasn't he, for, in the white ball games? So, yeah, fascinating to see how he goes. And that'll be one of the most interesting things about these five games, how newcomers like him go, really. Um, and uh, he's, he's a proper talent. And, you know, you, you can't uh, knock a left arm bowler. It's always great to have that variety, isn't it? So, so interesting to see how he goes, for sure. Yeah, look forward to that. Thanks, Paul. We're going to spend the final 10 minutes talking about 
County cricket. We've touched on this uh, during the course of the uh, uh, podcast. Um, today was the day, the release of the county championship fixtures. It seems I've been gone in forever waiting for it, but at least we've managed to get them now, which is uh, fantastic news. I'm going to bring John and Mark in quickly. John, um, you've obviously had time to digest the schedule as such. Um, it's improved, but has it improved enough? Yeah, it's better. It's better, isn't it? Um, it's it's not. It's a long way from perfect. It, it's better. Um, last year, I think there were three county championship rounds in June and July, and this year there's five. Um, I think I said to you earlier in the week, Pete, that I actually went back to the first year that four-day cricket was introduced um, in this country back in the early noughties um, and had a look at how many June, July Red Bull fixtures there were then, and there were six. Um, so there's only one less than there was then, and there were there were four competitions at that time as well. Um, obviously, the purists, um, of which I count myself as one, um, will say that there should be more. Um, and as Paul has alluded to, the 100 will get the blame for the fact that there isn't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. Um, whether, whether, it's, whether it's enough is another matter. I mean, it, it, part of it is, is a question of marrying that up with when the test matches are going to be played, isn't it? Because if you if you've had some red ball cricket um before test matches are going to be played then then you give then you give those that, that are taking part in that a chance to be ready don't you um if if they're not scheduled around when the test matches are going to be played then it probably doesn't matter anyway because they're going to be coming from hitting a white ball to trying to play a five-day test match which isn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination but uh I think given given where we are and the short time to think about it, what, what we've got is probably as good as we were going to get um, for 2022. Um, the reset, we'll have to look at whether there needs to be more than that in 2023. And the chances are the answer to that is yes. OK, thanks, John. Um, Mark? Two divisions, we're back to that. In my opinion, I'm, I'm a huge favour of two divisions personally. Um, and no Bob Willis trophy at the end of the season, which is another uh, good move, it has to say, as me speaking personally. So what's your take? Uh, you've had a look at the uh, fixtures that were released earlier today. I dare say you've had a look at Warwick's ones, obviously. Uh, what's your situation with that? Yeah, I like, I like the idea of two divisions because I think, you know, for England, generally to you know perform better in test cricket we need to have two divisions where there's you know there's competition um you know promotion relegation um hopefully will help to raise the standards um so i think it, it, it's, it's a good starting point i do like two divisions personally speaking you could even go three divisions of course, say six each maybe you could even go down that route but i'm happy enough with two i think that's fine i think the scheduling i think is probably as good as you're going to get um, there's probably a 
couple more fixtures in June, July. So I think that's that's reasonably good. So there are some positives. Um, and I think it'll be an interesting county season overall. So. Would would you have liked uh, perhaps to be, uh, say, one in August as well? So, for instance, you'd have one in July, June, wouldn't you? One in July and one in August. I mean, if you're going to get kids involved watching Championship cricket with summer holidays, etc., as well, wouldn't that be the ideal time? All right. Yeah. To answer your question, um, yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, looking at the fixtures, it's, it's all one-day cricket in August. So maybe they're thinking that to get a youngster into cricket, that one-day cricket's the way to go because it's, it's it's done and dusted in that one day. It's not a four or five, you know, it's not a four-day match. Maybe I'm just just playing devil's advocate. I'm not not saying that's right or wrong. Um, I personally would have, you know, I noticed there's three. We've got three fixtures in September. So could you maybe have moved at least? one of those fixtures to August, maybe. That's, that's just a, it's an open-ended question. Could you could you not have moved three of those, in theory, to um, August and played the one-day stuff in September? Bear in mind, you've got day-night cricket. So you've got, you've got the floodlights available. So it's still it's still an opportunity to play it. It's just, it's just things that the ECB can consider. Um, appreciate it, it might not be easy logistically, but um, I think... I think if I was to be slightly picky, I'd say I'd like I'd like to maybe a couple more couple more county championship games in August. I think you just got to consider the weather and what's best. I think the problem we all moan about is, you know, in April and September is, is when it's, you know, the wickets are generally green seamers and teams are getting shot out for less than 100. And games are over in two and a bit days and, it, and it's not good. So we need a county championship that has games that, you know, where the wickets are prepared well, that it should be good pit wickets batting with the wickets deteriorating to, you know, days three and four. So we've got, we've got to factor that. So that's why I say play in August when the weather should be better than, than September. So that's, that's my view. Right. Thanks, Mark. I'm going to have the last word with Paul. We've got a couple of minutes left. Paul, you've heard all about the county championship and the fixtures out today, et cetera, the procedure. You touched on June and July. Wouldn't it be nice to have one in perhaps in August, or am I being a little bit over the top here and perhaps a, a little bit? No, you're you're not at all, Pete. There there needs to be uh, proper cricket played, uh, first class cricket played in August. Um, and I'm afraid at the moment it's ring fence for the hundred, isn't it? Um, pretty much. Um, we've got to find a way way out of that. Um, we we need to we need more cricket in proper summertime. We need better pitches. We need um, uh, a less prominent seam on the ball. Maybe a, a kookaburra rather than a jukes. Uh, and we need proper techniques being being um, uh, coached. And no, I, I think there should be uh, more cricket in in July, August. I think it's a shame that there's none in August this year. But it, the, the, as, as, as the other guys have said, it is a step in the right direction. I think what the, the fixtures that have come out today. But you're still starting in April the seventh. Is it the first round of games? It's you know it's it's very very early. Um, uh, there isn't a Bob Willis final. I, I you know I, I enjoyed the the first one. Obviously it was COVID times, but I enjoyed the final between Essex and Somerset. Um, I enjoyed um, Lancashire against Warwickshire at, uh, at at Lords. Actually, it was good to see a bit of Rob Yates, who I hadn't seen before, who's clearly a talent, you know. And um, Norwell uh, was very good. And, and so, um, but but no, it's, it's, I'm afraid it was a COVID invention. I think that they're discussing with Bob's family the way of keeping the Bob Willis Trophy involved 
in some way, but obviously it'll be in a different way, maybe for the you know early season opener if that comes back next year between MCC and the Champion County. I know we're not having that this year, um, perhaps that or, or some other way, and that would be nice to honour on a Bob in that way. But it's good that there's not an extra round of games going into in, into October. Um, so a small step in the right direction, not nearly enough. And yeah, agree with you. Should should be games in August, and um, hopefully this time uh, next year we'll be we'll be saying yes. This, this year's fixture list for 2023 is much better. Fingers crossed. We can only hope, can't we? Guys, thank yeah. you very much for your time. Pleasure as always. Uh, John, Mark and Paul, thank you so much for your company. This has been the Big Kickoff Cricket Podcast. We will be back at some point, but uh, at least we can say now that things are in place and uh, the cricket season isn't that far away either. Thanks very much for your time, guys. <laughs>